And I talk about in the book, one of my favorite studies where you can bring people into a lab in an fMRI and look at their brain and ask them to think of themselves. And everybody's brain will light up in the same place. The self-center lights up in your brain. Then you say, all right, think of a stranger. And a different part of your brain will light up when you think of a stranger. Then you ask people, think of your future self. And for some people, a stranger part of their brain lights up when they think of their future self. For other people, goosebumps, the self-center lights up. The people whose self-center lights up when they think of the future self are more disciplined. They do the things that they know will serve their future self. My name is Johnny Elsasser, and I'm a former Special Operations U.S. Army Ranger and Tactical Commander to the U.S. Ambassador's Protective Detail. I have seen the struggle even the most hardened men have faced when they combat their inner demons, and I am here to shine a light on those struggles to show that no man is exempt from adversity and internal pain. Men from all walks of life share their stories of hardship, darkness, and perseverance so that every man knows that whatever he is going through, he is not alone. Evolution for men begins now. Hey everyone, we are on today with Brian Johnson. He is the founder and CEO of Heroic Public Benefit Corporation and the author of Arate, Activate Your Heroic Potential. He's a 50% philosopher and 50% CEO and 101% committed to helping create the world in which 51% of humanity is flourishing by the year 2051. He is an amazing human being, and this episode was so much fun because he jam-packed it with a lot of wisdom, and that's really a lot of what his book is about in Arate, is there's a lot of just pinpointed wisdom that's coming out of this book, and we expose some of that in this episode, but we dive into what really helps people to thrive and reach that heroic potential that they can have in their life. It is not unattainable for everybody to have this, and if you just look a little further, a little deeper and you implement some of these tools and implement some of these learning skills and wisdoms that he is providing in this episode, you're going to find out that it is not that far out of your reach. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Make sure you guys follow Brian and go check out his new book, Arate. It's a really great book. I've had the fortunate ability to read this and soak in some of his wisdom and it's very powerful. So make sure you guys go check that out. All right, everybody. I'll see y'all around the corner. All right, everyone. Welcome back to The Art of Masculinity. Today, we have Brian Johnson on with me. And man, am I excited, not just because of your background, which we're going to dive into here in a second, but because of, I mean, your newest book, Arate, which is absolutely epic. There's so much to learn from it, which we're going to dive into. But also just your message, man. Like you, you have been 25 years in like optimizing your life, your health, everything. And You've got a lot of wisdom to give us. So super excited to have you on today, brother. Thank you for joining us. Johnny, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your uh, kind words, your energy, and I've been looking forward to our chat. Yeah, absolutely. So I do have one question. So you you were a West Point graduate. Did you go active military or were you, uh, were you reserved? Dude, or- I wish I was a West okay. Point graduate. I-, I wish I was. We've been honored to serve West Point oh, got with it, got heroic. It. Yeah. Yeah, the cadets, faculty, and staff um, rolled heroic out with them last year. But dear friends who've gone to West Point, you know, in hindsight, I wish I even considered it, but I'm not. So one of the things, you know, if I look back and could do things over again, I certainly would have prioritized considering that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I must have misread that. I saw West Point and I think my brain, just being former military, already went, oh, he was a West Point grad. (laughs) 
Do you remind me of your background? Uh, so I was former special part? operations from second ranger battalion and then did uh four combat no tours. Way. Yeah. I did four combat tours between Iraq and Afghanistan. And then I protected the U S ambassador to Iraq for another five years with a private company. No way. All right. Well, I just got back from Tampa. So general Fenton and his team invited me out to SOCOM. I gave a talk mm-hmm. on resiliency and anti-fragility and, um, Dude, just sacred honor. I mean, what you all, you know, did and have done for us, you know, all the flourishing we're going to talk about today is dependent on you protecting our freedom. So appreciate you, brother, um, your service, your sacrifices, and uh, yeah, extraordinary. I appreciate that, brother. And I appreciate you still serving that community. That's amazing. Like with your wisdom to serve them as they continue to engage the battlefield and protect our flag, protect the people. Like that's amazing that you're serving them in that capacity as well and mindset and stuff. Because they need that too. Dude, I mean, okay, to go there real quick, one more take back and forth. You know, yeah. first soft truth, people are more important than hardware. And in my presentation, I talked about that. And I said, all right, well, the first life truth is the ultimate war is within. If you want to win the war outside, we've got to win the war within. So it was a really, really um, a sacred honor to be there and just to frame this up, you know, and how do we go from cadets to vets is kind of our vision with heroic, um, serving everyone from the cadets, special operations, general, you know, forces, um, through the vets. It means so much to us. And, uh, yeah, man, super powerful and important stuff. Let's explore that little bit of the conversation. How'd you even get started in that community to really start building them up and giving them some tools and techniques on, on getting through some of the challenges and trials that happen internally? You know, really organic. You know, when we were talking about what this chat would be, it'd be organic, you know, and we just have a conversation and go where it goes. But, you know, I've been working hard for the last 25 years and uh, trying to serve, you know, and trying to integrate ancient wisdom, modern science, practical tools, and um, just been putting it out there for a long time. And uh, we've trained a lot of coaches. And as it turns out, some of the coaches we've trained are elite performers across a range of domains I never could have anticipated, you know, the corporate world educational world, the sports world, um, and military. So we happen to have been serving, you know, some, some leading commanding officers in the military without me knowing about it and coaches of elite commanders without knowing about it. And then things just happened, you know, we had an opportunity to serve this individual and then West Point and then this and then that. And it just kind of all has been beautifully cohering into more opportunities to serve, um, more profoundly, but, but there's not like one thing, you know, it was just, one thing after another and just showing up and trying to do our best and then saying yes, you know, and being blessed to to have the opportunity. I already love that message that you're giving right now, because that is something that is so powerful. And it's like the, the ability to just say yes to things. I think we, we start, we say no to so much in life because we, we try to frame it through our past experiences instead of just saying yes to things that we may not be comfortable doing, but we just say yes. It sounds like you've seen a lot of that be kind of the catalyst for your life. Yeah. And then, you know, the guiding theme for me, Steve Martin talked about it and Cal Newport named a book on it. Be so good. They can't ignore you. So I've just, you know, I've really, really worked hard to master myself and to master my craft and to try to create something that was worthy of uh, helping people and hopefully some broad adoption that can, that can really impact individuals in the world. Um, So I think, you know, saying yes, but saying yes to my mission, you know, saying yes to what I felt called to do, which has become as great as I can be in integrating this wisdom, distilling it into practical tools. And then when invited, yeah, done, especially with with this group, you know what I mean? It's like, yes, tell me where you want me. (laughs) I'm there, you know? Yeah, it's that easy. Yes. You know, there's, there's no question about it. But how, 
So how did you find this vision for yourself? Take me through a little bit of the backstory there, because I think that's where a lot of, you know, I think a lot of men, but people in general struggle with this is like, the vision doesn't come up to you and like knock on the door, like, Hey, you know, like, and so they, they kind of like want to see how, how did, how did you gain some clarity around this to be like, yep. I'm going to say yes to everything that falls in this bucket and that's it. Yeah. And then say no to the stuff that doesn't, which is Correct. a really important, understated, powerful part yeah. of it. You know, what, what arises for me is pain. You know, I experienced a fair amount of it in my life as a kid and young man and, and, uh, you know, trying to solve some of the challenges that I faced. The quick biographical sketch, youngest of five kids, lower middle class, blue collar family. My dad worked in a grocery store, struggled with alcohol. His dad struggled with alcohol, ended his own life. I had my own challenges, first generation college student. And, you know, I've just been really trying to figure out how I can optimize my life, actualize my potential and help other people do the same. And it's funny because as I did the book and did more conversations like this, I realized that a big part of my life's mission is trying to find my dad when he was 17 and enlisted in the Navy, you know? And like, how would I have found my dad who's not into this stuff, you know? Like, and then, you know, he works in a grocery store. All right, well, that's Albertsons. It's one of the biggest companies in the country. Like, how can I serve corporations at that scale? He's into sports. All right, cool. How could I do stuff with the sports world that might've reached him? And it gives me emotional, man. I mean, it was like, and I actually got emotional at my talk, talking about this because the talk was so calm was full spectrum, you know, suicide prevention to elite performance. Like how do we meet people where they're at and build the scaffolding, but really trying to find ways to serve everybody, but certain personas, you know, and one of them is my dad. How might I have been able to find him to give him more clarity? But again, to answer your question more directly, it came through that pain. And then also just, I've had this impulse to understand what makes great people great. What is it about the people that truly go out and live noble, heroic lives, committing their lives to something bigger than themselves? And again, why I have such an affinity to warriors is you're literally doing that. Like you're dedicating your life to me and my family when you're out there on the battlefield, you know? And then not having a high tolerance for things I knew I didn't want to do. Awkward statement. But I I have a very low tolerance for just going through the motions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I can't just go do this. So I dropped out of law school. I left my first job. You know, I dropped out of law school. I, I was on a quest to figure out what it was I was here to do. And I didn't tolerate something that wasn't that. And that involved a lot of pain going through that process and being willing to make some sacrifices and, and make those hard decisions and feel blessed that in the process of a lot of trial and error, have, um, you know, um, dedicated myself to a mission that, that really um, lights me up. Man, I, I can tell it lights you up. And I can tell uh, by reading some of your book, how much it lights you up, because it's really cool to, to see the groundwork you've laid for people to follow. And then obviously, how many people you've coached and helped. And you actually, this is really great segue, because you talked about this in the book. And it was, a, it was about that average, right? And the only thing that beats average is excellence. And you basically embody that. You were like, hey, I, I have a low tolerance for average. I have a low tolerance for things that are just going to force me to be there, but not provide any form of excellence or excelling to my life. So let's talk about that a little bit because it's also where you derive the name of the book, right? Yeah. yeah. It's funny because I almost used the word mediocre, like <laughs> I have a low degree of tolerance for mediocrity, you know, yeah. which is the word I use. So mediocrity in ancient Greece, ancient Greek, medius ocris, 
It, mediocrity literally means to be stuck in the middle, medius, acris, of a rugged mountain. Ooh. So it's like starting this quest, and then you want to get to the summit, but you give up midway. You get stuck in the middle of the rugged mountain. You're mediocre, right? So there are a lot of synonyms to the word mediocre. Average, ho-hum, middling, blah, blah, blah. There's literally like 20 synonyms in the dictionary or thesaurus for mediocre. But there's only one antonym. The antonym to mediocrity is excellence. And excellence happens to be the English translation of the ancient word arete. And arete, again, means excellence or virtue. Arete is the one word answer the ancient Stoic philosophers would have given you on how to live a good, noble life. Live with arete. And again, we translate that as virtue or excellence, um, but it means something deeper, something closer to being your best self, moment to moment to moment. So I, you know, I tattooed my body with Arte years ago. Um, and as I was writing the book, I actually had a different title. And I'm like, look, the one word summation of everything that I talk about, ancient wisdom, modern science is Arte. The book has to be called Arte. I don't care if people can't spell it, if they can't pronounce it. That word should be part of our vernacular. It should have never fallen out. It was the word that summarized all the ancient Greek and Roman thinking. But anyway, that's a long answer to your short question. That's what arete means and how it relates to mediocrity. Summit, be your best self, moment to moment to moment. And then you experience a deep sense of joy, purpose, meaning, etc. What's like something you can give people that find themselves stuck on that, you know, middle part of the mountain? Because what, what I see a lot in uh, some of the men that I coach and some of the people I speak with through social media is that like, it's almost like they'll, they'll start a mountain because they have a passion or a vision and then they get to that middle level, right? Where you're talking about that mediocrity and then they stop and it's almost like they give up right there and they'll either just stand in that spot or then, or they'll go back down, right? And then they'll start a passion again just to go to mediocre, yeah. right? Like, so what can we yeah. give the everyday person to say, hey, it's, it's not that we're dinging you for, for, for living that. It's saying like, hey, here's something we can give you that can push you through that. You know, one of the most important things I think we need to recognize is common humanity. You're not alone. So, so we've all done that. We all still do that in different aspects of our life. And it's such an ancient idea that if you go a little further east into India, rather than, you know, Greece and Rome, in ancient Sanskrit, they had a word for it. They called it Arambashura, which Ooh. means to be a hero in the beginning. So most oh, wow. people, you know, trumpets of fanfare, New Year's Eve, we're recording this a few days into the new year, right? Oh, wow, I'm going to do this, this, and this. You know, everyone's, it's blazing. We're excited, right? And then the moment it gets hard, you know, and again, this is ancient India. They say you tiptoe out the back door, you know, like you never said anything. <laughs> no, no, no. Irish goodbye. <laughs> you know, yeah, dude. So, where'd that guy go? I don't know. Uh, that, that recognition of the fact that it's normal. You know, you're not alone. Nothing's wrong with you per se. And we got to work through that. We got to get clear on who you are at your best. And then we got to close the gap moment to moment to moment. Show up, do your best, especially when you don't feel like it. And then, you know, sometimes you do need to make a new commitment to yourself and to others, but then learn from it and quit saying you're going to do things that you don't intend to do. You know, whether it's I'm going to call you back tomorrow or I'm going to yeah. text you and connect you to this person. Like, do the little things you say you're going to do, including when you set those goals, know the price you're going to need to pay. Be honest about that before you get going and then double it because it's going to be twice as hard as you think it's going to be. And again, we're all still going to backslide at times. That's part of the process. But then moving through that 
you can, we can talk about more ways to do that. But I think the first step is you're not alone. Like yeah. all of us go through this. Nothing's wrong with you per se. And let's see what we can learn from past experiences and move through that for this new quest you're on right now. Yeah. And you, you talk about this. This is one of the things I loved about your, your book was that you talked about it and it's not mistakes, it's mistakes. You know, and I loved you, you yep. pulled that out from Michael Beckwith, but then you elaborate on this and, yep. and you talk about that perfectionism and how people don't optimize. They try to be this, you know, negative that, that negativity of that perfectionism is kind of what causes us to fail. How does that look in most people when you see them? Yeah, well, perfectionism is a really interesting thing, right? So there's actually Tal Ben Shahar is one of my favorite um, teachers. He's become a friend of mine taught the biggest class in Harvard's history, one of the leading thinkers in positive psychology. He's written a number of books I love, Happier, The Pursuit of Perfect, etc. In one of them, The Pursuit of Perfect, he says there's actually two forms of perfectionism. One is unhealthy, as you'd expect, but another one is healthy. And they're so different that he gives them different names. Perfectionism is the unhealthy one. And then you're an optimalist, optimalist when you're a healthy perfectionist. So what what the healthy and unhealthy have in common is they have high standards. So you need to maintain your high standards. You need to know what you're capable of and commit to going for it. But then the unhealthy perfectionist actually thinks they can hit those standards every time. And when they don't, they shame themselves and they give up and then they backslide. So what you need to do is hold the high standards and then embrace the constraints of reality. Embrace the fact that there are only 24 hours in the day you're never going to be perfect. You won't be the first perfect human being. And you're going to need to make some hard calls. Energy, work, and love. What are you going to do to show up as your best? But that idea of embracing reality and the constraints of reality is a really, really big idea. Um, and it's a dance, you know, to, to find that pursuit of perfection, knowing you're never going to hit it, yet holding yourself to those standards. Um, and again, iterating up to more and more excellence as you strive to be your best um, and learn with every mistake, as you said, it's all data, you know, like run another experiment, see if you can get a little bit better and aggregate and compound little gains over a long enough period of time. And let's see how you're doing, you know, in two, five, 10 years instead of two, five, 10 days. Yeah, it's. It, I loved that so much out of out of many things that you wrote, but I loved it because it really hit home for me. Like you know, in special operations, we weren't perfect. Actually, we were the only thing we were perfect at was being imperfect. You know, like we we were very good at that, and that's what made us so elite. Because as you put it, it was like we had these very high standards, but we knew nothing really was ever going to go to plan. So the best thing that we could do was be adaptable and be prepared. And so we trained on the little things every day that allowed us to be adaptable in environments. But when things didn't work out, which they often did not, almost 100% of the time, when things didn't work out how we planned, we were capable of responding to the new environment and not just quitting. That's where I loved how you address this because it, it really resonates with my pedigree, like where I grew up at in, in my young years in special operations. And I thought that was a very great way on how you gave that information to them, to Dude, people. So I just got to reflect on that real quick. You laughed when you said things never worked out the way yeah. we thought they would. You literally laughed. All right. Yeah. So, so then I'm thinking of, I'm hanging out again, just two weeks ago. So it's fresh on my mind. And with you being a special forces operator, General Fenton and his right hand command master sergeant and I are talking after my talk. And they laughed the same way you just did. Because one of the things I talked about in my talk was, 
again, no plan survives first contact with the enemy, full right. stop. But same with your life. And so they were laughing. They're like, dude, the best stories are when everything <laughs> went wrong. Yet, when you take it out of that environment and you put it into your life, you, one, thinks that something's wrong with you because things didn't go according to plan. Yeah. Instead of laughing at it and rolling up your sleeves and going, well, dude, of course, no plan makes first con- survives first contact with the enemy. What's my plan B and C and D? I'm prepared for this. I know this is going to happen. So I'm going to double down on my fundamentals. I'm going to do the little things within my control to the highest level of excellence possible, and I'm going to adapt. Yeah. Again, it sounds so straightforward when I say it, yet when it happens to me, literally, yeah. I still have a story that's like, yeah, I get that abstractly. You know, yeah. it's, it's okay for everyone else. Yeah. You know what I mean? But <laughs> why am I experiencing this? My plan must have sucked. You yeah. know, like I suck. Like I want to give up. Like, <laughs> It's a really beautiful thing, dude, just to hear your laughter. And if we can bring that in yeah. with the seriousness of a special forces operator who's also has a palpable urgency to solve the problem, and you're not wasting any time on shame and anything other than simplify the battlefield, front side focus, now it needs to be done. You know what I mean? Like that's, I know you know, but that's the, the concept we got to bring into our lives yeah. with an intensity um, a presence of flow, ideally a joyfulness, and um, just execute what's at hand, right? Yeah, and it's like I love this because because I, I I literally I feel the same way you do because I'll be like abstractly I know I've experienced this and I and I can laugh at it, but then in business I'm like I'm supposed to be better I shouldn't do this and then I have yeah. this this conversation <laughs> like bro Johnny calm down <laughs> like remember all the things you used to do that never went to plan. And so that's, it's a really cool, that's, I loved that because it really resonated with me in your book. And I thought that was such a good concept, the way you handed it off to people to make it palatable for them, to make it translatable for them, right? Yep. But no, but the the voice is, it's okay in those situations and others, but I'm an idiot. Yeah. (laughs) If I actually knew or if I actually knew what I was doing, then I wouldn't be experiencing this. So our story that we shouldn't be experiencing the pain, the uncertainty, and the hard work of living a heroic life is arguably the greatest obstacle to our well-being. If instead we can approach it with the targeted thinking I talk about, which is, all right, all right, reality is what it is. Let me accept it. What do I want? What's the mission? And now what do I need to do in order to achieve it? Get back and, and execute that. Again, it's so obvious and simple when I say it, and so important that we move from theory to practice on it when it matters, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I love the frame and um, the shared experience. And again, everybody's experienced this. This oh, is yeah. the common humanity of quit shaming yourself and just get back to work, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. There's a story I have real quick about it. I think you'll laugh. Is I was I was leading a, I was the assault squad on a mission overseas, and it, for this particular mission, the command sergeant major of JSOC came in or SOCOM came in and uh, he's hanging out with us and running the mission with us. And so I'm leading the assault team on this. And we, we're also the lead uh, squad into the objective. So we're actually running the route and everything. So we get in there and we get to the objective and we're the first ones on the objective to take it down. And as we get there, I sent part of my team to one section and then I have part of my team on one section of the objective. And on the outside, because we were basically making an L shape on this objective, on the outside where to the side of the house I was supposed to go, there was a fence, right? And this fence has, has an actual like physical door built into the gate with like cement uh, columns next to it, right? 
So I have my breacher kind of breach this and then I go to kick it in and a sinkhole underneath me, a sinkhole in the ground just opens up and I'm up to my chest in like over a hundred pounds of gear. I got explosives on me and everything. And my guys are like looking down at me like, uh, what the heck just happened? And you talk about something going completely wrong. They got to pick me up and pull me off. We're still trying to get into this objective, into a gunfight right now. It was just like the most kind of like a shit show thing you could imagine to happen, right? So that happens and the mission goes incredibly well. You know, this is a whole funny story of like this happening, but the mission goes exceptionally well, so well that the command sergeant major gives me a coin for running that mission as my first mission as a squad leader, right? And so I'm sitting here thinking of all the things I messed up because I'm sitting in a sinkhole at one point. <laughs> and he's like, all he saw was like almost perfection on this mission that we pulled off. So it's a really cool reminder of even when things don't go planned, they sometimes even go better than you thought. <laughs> Dude, and, and, and that you responded and maintained the composure in the midst of having yourself chest deep in a sinkhole. Yep. I mean, everything about that is the perfect metaphor for life, you know, and embracing the constraints of reality and then responding to whatever that reality is in the moment in which it arises. David Goggins would call that, you know, you got to have that in your cookie jar. You got to have that as something you feast on. You know, we call it hero bars with what we do with heroic. You got to know who you've been at your best and the things you're most proud of in your life basically always involve stories like that. Yeah. Where, oh my God, it was just a, it was a circus yet somehow <laughs> I found it to stay poised and I'm pushed through it, whether it was for that, that particular mission or for a week or a month or a year or a decade or whatever. And boom, feast on that when you're feeling the pain right now, knowing that you're cooking a new hero bar. Yeah. Those challenges are the prime ingredient for you showing up and doing something you're going to be proud of, right? I love that. That's so good. And the, the hero bar, I love the analogy. Have you found that in today's society, we're obviously inundated with social media and, you know, quote unquote, the perfect life everywhere, right? On social media, because no one ever sees like the nitty gritty. Do you feel that that's actually playing also a huge kind of distractor to that to people's who are living their heroic life as well? No question. I mean, no, absolutely no question. Full stop. The challenge we face is 2,500 years old. And I talk about it in the book, of course. Objective one of the book is you got to know the ultimate game. Yeah. So we've been seduced to play the wrong game. And social media is amplifying the wrong game and the wrong message. And then making you feel like an idiot for not winning the game you should have never wanted to play, which is going after fame, wealth, and hotness. Those are extrinsic motivators. Nothing yeah. wrong with them per se, but if your life is predominantly oriented toward those extrinsic motivators, you will be less psychologically stable, scientific phrase, even if you're successfully pursuing it, than people going after the intrinsic stuff. Be a better person, deepen relationships, make a contribution. So social media has amplified the 2,500-year-old challenge. I mean, the choice of Hercules was a story that Socrates and the ancient Stoics told of Hercules before he was Hercules, and he's out on a walk in the forest by himself, and he comes to a fork in the road, and two goddesses rush up to him. One goddess pushes ahead of the other, and she's kind of overly made up. She's kind of preening. Literally, this is how the Stoics described it. Wow. You can imagine her about ready to take a selfie and put it up on Instagram. You know what I mean? Like She's like, you know, whatever, whatever. And she tells soccer, uh, Hercules that her name is happiness, but she's lying. Her name is vice. And she tells Hercules, hey, follow me, and you're going to have a great life, easy. You won't have to do anything ever. It's going to be awesome, right? 
You can literally see her telling them this on Instagram today, 2,500 years ago. Well, the other goddess waits patiently, then she steps forward, and she's got a stern, austere beauty to her. And she says to Hercules, uh, yeah, everything she said, not quite how it's going to work. If you follow me, I'm not going to promise you any of that. I'm going to promise you a life of hardship, challenges. You're going to do something for something bigger than yourself, and you're going to face challenges, but you'll create a life that will be worthy of the gods and your own pride and admiration. Her name was Arte. So the goddess of virtue is the one that Hercules chose to follow. But, but what we're seeing today is a 2,500-year-old challenge. The Bhagavad Gita, yeah. same story. It's set on a battlefield. A reluctant warrior doesn't want to go to war. He's counseled by his god. You've got to play the game. You've got to be willing to do the hard things. Um, and again, social media has just amplified all those challenges and taught us two things that I think are pernicious. One, that we should go after fame, wealth, and hotness. And two, that it should be easy. And you put those two together and you get 80% of our world that's struggling with anxiety or some psychological issue and nearly the same percentage that's either overweight, obese, or struggling with chronic diseases, et cetera. So again, you got to step back from that unhealthy society and choose to live a life of meaning um, by following the goddess of Arte. Live a life of virtue, be your best self in service to something bigger than yourself. And it's never been more challenging in my mind to do that than today. Oh my God, you just, yeah. And it links back to that mediocrity we're talking about, right? Because when you fail at the fame and you fail at the perfection you see, you then get down on yourself, the judgment comes in, the self-loathing comes in, and all of a sudden you're at that mediocrity right in the mountain where you're not going to reach excellence because all you do is see negativity. Dude, and then what do you do? So then you go watch some more, you spend more time on TikTok or Instagram, <laughs> hating yourself more with every click. Or you go binge watch on Netflix, or you go binge yeah. eat, or you go binge drink. Yeah. And again, but we've all got those challenges. Yeah. So again, nothing's wrong with you per no. se. Yeah. It's not because you're you, it's because you're a human being. But then we got to step back and say, all right, well, how do I create a life of meaning and, and dedicate my life to these higher ideals and focus on the controllables and all the things you've been talking about with your special forces time? and, and um, and you can change things very quickly as you reorient your life. And then you show up every single day. In my wallet, I've got a card I got after I did some stuff with the um, Naval Special Warfare team that the SEALs get after they finish Hell Week. And the front card says, earn your trident today. Every day, you got to earn your trident. Yeah. So you're never going to get to a point where you're done. Yep. Today's the day to re-earn your trident, to re-earn your role in your family, in your community, as a leader striving to do your best in service to something bigger than yourself. And then you just show up, you do the work, you know, yeah. <laughs> put in another good day and let's go, you know, aggregate enough of those, we're going to do all right. Yeah. And, I, and one of the other things that really stuck out to me was that you kind of addressed this with your statement of courage is not the absence of fear, but it's, it, it's uh, acting in the face of fear. And it epitomizes what you're talking about right now and how we can kind of live this heroic life because the fear is that we're not going to be successful. The fear is we're not going to make the money. The fear is if we put ourselves out there, we're going to be ridiculed or criticized, right? But we have to act in all of that in the face of, in the face of fear to try to have this heroic life. And that seems to be kind of where you're bringing people, right? A hundred percent. So Aristotle said that the most important virtue is courage. He said it was the virtue that vitalizes all the other virtues. Modern science says that courage, the definition of it from a scientific perspective is the willingness to act in the presence of fear. It's not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to act. But there's a virtuous mean there. If you have too much courage, you're rash. 
jumping out of a of a helicopter airplane bless you hell an airplane without a parachute that's not smart you know what i mean but then the vice of deficiency is cowardice but courage is the willingness to act in the presence of fear but courage comes from the ancient word for heart so just as your heart pumps blood your arms and legs and vital organs courage does the same thing but it's also related to love so when you think about the word hero the courage the source of courage is love And again, your courage on the battlefield, goosebumps, not to inappropriately speak for you, but my understanding from the research and from connections with friends who have served like you, it's your love for your country, your family, your team, the brother next to you or or soldier you're serving with. Your love is is the source of your courage. So in ancient Greece, the word hero didn't mean tough guy or killer of bad guy. The word hero etymologically means protector. So a hero has strength for two. A hero is willing to do the hard work to have the strength for two. Um, And a hero's secret weapon is love. That's the source of our courage. That's the source of our discipline and self-mastery. When we dedicate our lives to something more than Instagram followers, square footage in our house, et cetera, to making a difference in people's lives. And again, doing what we need to do, whether we feel like it or not, um, especially when we don't feel like it, that's the source of all the stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, I love that. And and you're absolutely correct. Those are the things that we feel on the battlefield. Not, and I would add that protector is kind of the willingness to say, if I'm capable of doing this for people, I need to be the one that does it because there's others that aren't capable, right? And so it's stepping up yeah. in that. Goosebumps, dude. Humbling, man. And again, you think of anyone that's this far into this conversation, you have the means, the skills, the gifts, the passion, the ambition to make a difference. And you must. Yeah. And, and Abraham Mouth was on my wall back there. You know, he's the one who came up with the hierarchy of needs. And, and he summarizes, if my philosophy can be summarized in a single word, it's Arte. If I was going to summarize it in a single sentence, it would be something close to what he said, which is what one can be, one must be. So if you have the capacity to make a difference, you must make that difference. Uh, he said, you have capacities clamoring to be used. And to the extent you don't use it, and to the extent there's a gap between who you could be and who you're actually being in any given moment, it's in that gap in which pain, regret, anxiety, disillusionment exists. So again, close the gap, be your best self, never perfectly, but more and more consistently, and you'll experience more of that joy that you might be missing on. You're not going to get rid of the pain. It's still going to be hard. You know, you're still going to need to tolerate all of the the uncertainty and hard work. But Again, now you know the game you're playing and how to play it well, and you can feel the joy of showing up even when you don't feel like it. Yeah, and and think of all the people like if you're if you're neglecting the person you can be because of fear of some made up fear in our mind that we've created priority and prominence out of. But if you're neglecting being that person, think about how many people are not being affected by your skills, by your gifts, right? Think about how many people aren't being helped maybe along the way that could have used that. Yeah. And then, boom, that pain becomes the, the, the fuel, you know? And again, when there's the gap and you know how to close the gap and remove the pain, it isn't through the numbing. It's through the, no, no, no all right, cool. I'm going to need to get a little more clarity on what my priorities are, who I'm committed to being, and I need to know the price and I got to pay the price. Again, not perfectly. And bringing that back to... For me, my kids are a huge inspiration, you know, my community, my team, my country. These are deep, deep motivation uh, and motivators for me that, again, I fall short all the time. And how do I learn? How do I take that data and just get a little bit better and and, um, show up 
and try to make the, today just a little bit better than yesterday, right? Yeah, and it, it follows that saying. I can't remember who said it, but if you shoot for the stars, at least you'll hit the moon. And uh, I thought that's powerful because yeah. you, you still you reach higher levels of excellence when you shoot further and shoot bigger and dream bigger. So I love that. I wanted to touch on something too that I thought was super valuable because it really lends into this. And I never heard it until I read your book. Was it was ultradian and circadian. So like, obviously we know the circadian rhythm, but this actually helps us, at least what I took from it, this can help us optimize who we are every single day in, in kind of smaller chunks, right? Yeah. So circa DM, circadian is obviously every day, right? Yeah. So um, around a day. So rhythms that, you know, 24 hour clocks uh, and then ultra DM or ultradian rhythms are more than a day. So, you know, NASA research, other research has shown that, that we, we, our energy kind of fluxes and cycles around 90 minutes on, and then you need to oscillate. You need to bring it down and recover. Um, and again, we keep on talking special forces, but, you know, like Great the example. Rangers and Seals, you guys know how to, <laughs> you know how to be off, you know? So it's, it's the, I've heard it told as the Seals, but the Rangers on the, in the helicopter on the way to the mission are taking a nap. You got to get your energy down. You got to recover so you can show up and be on. But these rhythms that we have throughout our days, we want to get clarity on, you know, and most people are kind of flatline. They're never really all in on something. They're kind of checking their email. They're kind of doing this. They're kind of with their kids. They're kind of not. They're never really on. And then they're never really off. They're watching shows late in the night. They go to bed late after eating a late meal. They never really recover sleep. And there's just this baseline flatline burnout. We want to be all in on and then all in off. Healthy human beings have, make waves, right? There's this oscillation energy. And one way to get, to get in line with how to do that is the old tradians. And creating a masterpiece day involves a good circadian rhythm, meaning you're prioritizing a good night of sleep. You're in line with those, those daily rhythms which are the most universal rhythms we've evolved to be in integrity with, that again, social media, blue light, brand new, completely disrupted. However you think about it, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of years of evolution in the last yeah. 25 years, yeah. disrupted, 100 years. But anyway, finding those rhythms in your life and then prioritizing them appropriately is a huge part of how to make today a masterpiece that we talk about, obviously, in the book and everything else that we do. Well, I, I love this because you because you really break it you really break it apart because there's so many people that, and I respect a lot of these individuals. I won't name them. I respect a lot of them, but a lot of them are going to be like grind, 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 grind. And you're like, well, is that really optimal? You're like, yeah, you can grind 16 hours a day. And you you reference this as that per, that unhealthy perfectionist, right? It's like you can grind 16 hours a day, but are you optimal, right? Are and and this is where you're not you're not kind of finding that rhythm where you're allowing yourself to oscillate between peak and then downtime, right? And, and that's, that was really special. And that's what I love about this. It's like this bite-sized piece. How do I optimize 90 minutes and then give myself some downtime, right? Yeah, and then, and then putting into the macro 24-hour day. Right. And I'm with you on the, no, 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 no. You know, and we talked about this a lot too, the SOCOM deal, like sleep. And again, you are sacrificing so much for us and, and your time with the families all and your sleep. Well, you know, the science on sleep is, is, unequivocal. We yeah. need seven to eight hours of sleep. And I dropped this stat there, you know, the odds that you're the human being that can get by on less than the recommended seven to eight hours of sleep 
because of some genetic uh, mutation, are the same as the odds of you being struck by lightning in your lifetime, which <laughs> playfully is actually higher than I thought it would be. <laughs> One in 11,000, dude. You're not that guy, you know, like, or gal. Like, you need sleep. Yeah. Prioritize that. And what do you, let me follow you around for a day. And yeah. let me watch what you're doing. You're so busy that you can't get to bed at a reasonable hour to make sure you get seven to eight hours of sleep. And again, that's not time in bed, that's sleep. Yes. If you're 90% efficient in terms of being in bed and actual amount of sleep, then you're world-class. Yeah. So you, if you want seven to eight hours of sleep, you need to be in bed for eight to nine hours. Yeah. I'm in bed for nine to 10 hours every single night. That's my number one commitment in our heroic app to keep my energy dialed in. Why do I do that? Because I can get more done on eight and a half hours of sleep that I got last night than I will ever get done on five and a half or six and a half hours of sleep. Correct. I can perform at seven, seven and a half, and of course, less when I need to. But if I want to sustainably show up at a high level, I have to train that. Yeah. Um, so we talk about that, as you know, a lot in the book, quoting Bezos, Warren Buffett, all the great athletes, of course, prioritize sleep. Yeah. Um, but we got to train like that as well um, and just know how to flip the switch and train our recovery as much as, as, um, you know, the intense on phase. Yeah. I mean, I hear so many people say grind, grind, grind. And I'm like, man, I live that life. I live that probably a lot more than the people saying it. And there was a point in my life where I actually knew if I had 10 minutes of sleep and I'm, I'm not kidding you, I knew this, if I had 10 minutes of sleep, I could function for another 24 hours. But what the question that I started to ask myself was, when I was functioning for those 24 hours, was I optimal? And there's no way I was, not even close to it, right? Yes, I could operate, and I could probably operate to a certain level of that's a past most people because of adrenaline, because of training. But when it came to a lot of the functions where we need to have all these minute decision-making processes and tap into higher intellectual levels, like when we're running a business, heck no. <laughs> like, no, you put me in front of a computer screen, I wasn't going to do anything, you know, but you could put me out in the field and it's different, right? But that's where I, I really enjoyed that part because I was like, yeah, you're hitting a nerve for a lot of people because you're, you're going counterculture, but you're giving reality to it because it's not optimal. Yeah. And then, and then the thing for me is I'm not asking you to make a trade. I'm telling you yeah. that if you actually train your recovery, you'll get more done. You'll get yeah. higher quality work done that you will never yeah. do in less time, by the way, importantly. You will get higher quality work done in less time then you will get done if you are not prioritizing your recovery. So I'm not asking people yeah. to make a trade. I'm saying get more of each. Energy, yeah. work, and love. Prioritize your energy. Um, you know, this was Stephen Covey's seventh habit of highly effective people. He called it, you know, renewal or, or you know, sharpening the saw. I yeah. say, and his metaphor was quickly, you're in a forest. We're back there with Hercules, yeah. right? Only we're 2,000 years later, 2,500 <laughs> years later. And you see a dude sawing down a tree. And you can tell that the blade is dull and he's not getting anywhere. So you tell him, hey, I think you should slow down and maybe sharpen your saw. You'll get there faster. And the guy tells you, no, I'm too busy sawing down this tree to slow down to sharpen it. <laughs> and everyone laughed at that story. Oh, that guy's an idiot. You know, all right, cool. Yeah. Well, don't be that guy. <laughs> and so my metaphor is, I don't want you to just sharpen the saw. I want you to take the time to build a chainsaw. Because when your energy, your vitality, your mental clarity is so high that you've got a chainsaw, you cut through problems with a higher level of creativity and get more done in less time at a higher level than the version of you that's tired will yep. ever get done, no matter how many hours you work in a day. So again, the, the proposition here is you're not trading off, you're gaining. 
And yeah. Um, yeah, I don't pay much attention to who's saying what in social, but yeah, <laughs> I know the general the general theme here is no, nah, you're not doing it right if you're not if you're yeah you know not sleeping five hours now whatever. Good luck with that, and yeah, <laughs> and bless you by the way for being able to show up, dude, on ten minutes of sleep and your ability to perform in that particular role for a period of time. But even that isn't sustainable. And even that version of you, the moment you are not on demand because you're at war and you need to be on, we need you recovering. We need you paying that back. We need you prioritizing your sleep. We need you getting your mind back such that you can go back for another round of that. You know, even that needs to be brought back in more explicitly to that community in particular. But love it, dude. And I love you highlighting that It's so powerful because when you learn what your body and brain looks like when you're operating at high levels, you know the effects when you impact that. So that's a that's why I really love it. Cause like, you know, when I don't get because I know my sleep now. I've got it planned out. I do the same thing as you. I'm in bed for I'm in bed for eight hours. I'm sleeping for seven, right? Like that's my process. And I know how I feel when even if I like have sugar at night. I know how I feel in the morning. I, you know, like I've gotten it to where I know my body and how it affects my, how things affect my brain and my operations the next day. And when you're in a grind mode all the time, you kind of throw so much dysfunction and dysregulation that you, you really don't know what it's like to be optimal to then know what it's like Dude, to be suboptimal. Scientists call that baseline resetting. Your baseline is reset to such a low level, you don't even remember what it feels like to feel a peak level of of performance. The way you framed it up is better than I framed it up in the past, which is (laughs) I know what it feels like to perform at a very high level, and I know what it feels like to have that diminish, and I hate that gap. And then I also know that, oh, shoot, for me, it's the same thing. I ate a little bit late or off menu, you know what I mean? I'm like eating this stuff, and I know it doesn't really work for me, and boom, (laughs) and I've got this little lethargy. And again, to your point, I can still perform at a much higher level than my, the prior version of me. And then yeah. at the risk of being immodest, perhaps a lot of people, but it's yeah. not my best. I right. know that there was a gap yeah. because of a choice that I made. And then it comes back to, all right, well, let me go bend that screw, uh, nail, pull it out, hammer it back in, get a little <laughs> bit better next time. But then it yeah. becomes fun. Yeah. And it's very important to emphasize these aren't chores. Like a lot of people yeah. hear this and they're like, oh, yeah, what a pain. I got to go do this and this <laughs> and this. No, dude, this is a gift you're giving your future self when you choose to make these decisions just a little bit more mindfully. And that, that relationship between the current you and the future you is really important. And I talk about in the book, one of my favorite studies where you can bring people into a lab in an fMRI and look at their brain and ask them to think of themselves. And everybody's brain will light up in the same place. The self-center lights up in your brain. Then you say, all right, think of a stranger. And a different part of your brain will light up when you think of a stranger. Then you ask people, think of your future self. And for some people, a stranger part of their brain lights up when they think of their future self. For other people, goosebumps, the self-center lights up. The people whose self-center lights up when they think of the future self are more disciplined. They do the things that they know will serve their future self. So we've got to make a connection between the things we're doing right now and our future self. If your future self is a stranger to you, you'll treat it that way and you won't do the things that will be gifts for your future self. So all the things we're talking about, going to bed early, eating a certain way, training your body, training your mind, these are gifts. This version of you is giving to the future version of you. We need to see it that way. It's a really important distinction to bring that joy and that gift 
versus chore mindset that I think that study makes like palpably clear, you know? Yeah, I love that. It reminds me of a saying Dr. Wayne Dyer said. He's like, most people say, I'll believe it when I see it. But he says, when you see it, then you'll believe it. And that was like really powerful when I heard him say that. Yeah. And to see again, to make that connection. This, if this, then that. If this, then that. Yeah, for sure. And that's, and I love that. It is, it's not a chore. It does get to be fun. And I've I've lived that life. I knew what it was like staring down the barrel of it, hearing all this stuff and be like, oh my God, this is going to be such a headache. Like, oh, but then when I saw the benefits, I was like, I'm all in. Like, this is a real thing and I'm all in and it gets to be fun for me. But Brian, this is... Real quick on that. Real quick on that. I like to say it's harder than you want it to be, but not as hard as you think it will be. Right? Absolutely. (laughs) Once you start going, you're like, all right, cool. Yeah, I love it, man. Dude, this has been such a fun conversation. I am truly grateful for your time. If we can leave uh, people with with one of the tools, another tool, we've given them so much, but if we can leave them with one more tool to living that heroic life, what's something you'd like to hand them right now? So one of the practical ways to get clarity on how to operationalize this wisdom is, think of you at your prior best. So think of a time in your life, you know, whether it was a day, a week, a month, a year, even a decade, when you were performing at your absolute best, you were just on fire. And we've all had some span of time in which we were showing up as our best. And then bust out a piece of paper if you feel inspired, draw a line down the middle, on the upper left, put do, and on the upper right, put don't. And think back to when you were at your best and write down what were you doing and what were you not doing? And then look at your current life. And think about the things that you need to start doing that you did do at your best and that you need to stop doing that you weren't doing when you're at your best. Um, And think of one thing, the one thing that you think, circle one thing in each of those do and don'ts. What's one thing you know you could be doing right now that if you started doing it consistently would most change your life? And one thing you know you could stop doing, that if you stop doing it would most change your life? And then know that the fastest way to change your life is to stop doing the thing, the kryptonite that's depleting your power. That, that, it's not starting things. It's, it's not doing the things that kind of destroy you. That becomes kind of the practical tip of the spear, if you will, way to yeah. affect change in our lives. Is You don't need to go abstract. You've, ex- you've experienced success in the past. We need yeah. to make your prior best your new baseline. And then quit giving away yeah. your gains. When you experience gains, lock them in. Be consistent. Don't give it up. Um, and that's one way to start um, moving forward with some clarity, celebrating the prior wins and making it more consistent. Oh, I love that. I'm going to do that. That's powerful. That is powerful. Bro, this has been so great, Brian. Um, last thing, uh, last two things. The first one is let everybody know, and we'll link all this in the show notes, but let everybody know how to get into your ecosystem, where to find you. And then obviously the best way to get your amazing book, Arate, that is out right now. Right on, dude. I appreciate it. So um, I run a company called Heroic Public Benefit Corporation, but you can find us at heroic.us, US, heroic.us, or you can find us in your iOS and Android app stores. Heroic, we're the training platform. Um, We talk about a lot of these ideas, moving from theory to practice to mastery. Um, And then the book is Arte, A-R-E-T-E. You can get that on Amazon, wherever you buy books. And yeah, man, just appreciate you. That was super fun and uh, love how you're showing up. As, uh, as I said in the beginning, dude, just appreciate you and your service, everybody that does what you did. You know, I'm just trying to pay back, man. So thank you. You're doing it exceptionally well. Uh, very excellent, I would say. So <laughs> I appreciate it, brother. Your last question before I release you back to the world. What does the art of masculinity mean to you? 
I kind of frame it back to, I mean, I can answer it directly, but it's, it's, I think each of us needs to answer that. I think we actually need to slow down long enough to think about what that means. For me, it's an integrated human being. Um, I always come back to the virtues. So it's embodying orate, which is kind of the meta virtue for the cardinal virtues, wisdom, discipline, love, and courage. Um, I think a, a healthy, integrated man integrates those aspects. So we have the wisdom to know the game we're playing. We have the discipline to do what needs to get done, whether we feel like it or not. Um, then we have the love to commit ourselves to something bigger than ourselves, showing up with joy, connection, and encouragement. Um, and then we have the courage, the willingness to act in the presence of fear. And for me, the art of masculinity is integrating those aspects in our own idiosyncratic way. You know, I've got my style, you've got yours. I've got my mission, you've got yours. But but that aliveness and that commitment, that willingness to stay grounded but go all in, you know, and show up and to lead and to to be heroic, dude, is is um what I think we're all called to be. And um why I get fired up in a conversation like this is to imagine more and more men like us committing to. That's the ultimate thing. Commit to it, dude, and commit to it day in and day out. Recommit after a bad day. Show up, dude. Bounce back. Use that as data. That's some of what arises for me. I love that, brother. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much for putting the book out. Thank you so much for how you're impacting the world today. It's just beautiful to watch, brother. Uh, appreciate you and your time. And to everybody listening, Dude, make sure you check out the show. Oh, what does it what? mean What's for that? you? you gotta, <laughs> what does it mean for you? Yeah, I know we're well, time. But- Yeah, um, no, you're good. The art of masculinity for me means to find those things that make you aligned with the man that shows up as the best version of himself every day and impacts everybody around him in a positive way. If you can find that man, whatever he looks like to you, if you can find that man every single day and you can embody that integrity, that presence, that power, that leadership every single day, that to me is the art of masculinity, how you impact the other people through that. Yeah. Oh, glad I asked. Beautiful, dude. (laughs) I love it, brother. Bro, it's been so great. Um, To everybody listening, make sure you check out the show notes. I cannot recommend Brian enough. Obviously, his mission is great and you need to be part of it, especially for a lot of men out there who are struggling to find their way. Um, I know you guys have been reaching out to me a lot. Brian is somebody you guys can follow, you can grab onto. And obviously, as you heard by this podcast, he's got a lot to give to help get you started on a path of being heroic. So thank you again, Brian. And to everybody listening, as always, remember that the world deserves a better caliber of man, and it's our obligation to give it to him.